0: So the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. I tell you, he will give, them, give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. Today we turn our attention to the word of our Lord as found in James chapter 5 and Luke chapter 18 as we continue our series on life-changing prayer. So, grace and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That how do you view prayer? I mean, how do you see it? How do you begin to explain it? That if you were to be asked to how do you express what it is that prayer is about, its, it's experience, its practice, its very teaching, its purpose, that how would you begin to compare it or express it so that others might understand. See, I feel that there are two flawed views of prayer, two flawed views of prayer that have equal and opposite expressions, that find it taking prayer as just another tool, just another technique, just another way for us to get what we desire. That I might say that the one illustration might be prayer as the magic eight ball, is that if you just keep asking it and shaking it, soon enough you will go ahead and get your answer, correct? But if it gives you that answer of unsure too many times, you are going to find yourself shaking it with frustration of tell me, give me, I want to know. But then there's another view, another illustration, if you will, is that prayer is that kind of like online form submission, if you will, as if prayers were just simply our sending it in. And what do we feel that we get? We get that same cookie-cutter response when we send it in, and we get someone from our team. We'll be responding to you in the next five to 35 business days if we deem your request worthy of our time. And so we become cynical, pessimistic, bitter. Why bother even sending it in if I'm never going to get a response? See, sometimes we see prayer as simply a tool that we use, something that is there for us to get our will done in heaven rather than getting God's will done here in earth. See, Jesus gives us today not only through his teaching in Luke 18, but also in those very words of James today, that we get two different illustrations, two different images of what prayer ought to be. That we get an image of a courtroom, and we get an image of a farmer. And so we turn to those very words that are found in Luke 18, as Jesus comes to speak to us about that very persistent, very persistent prayer that is not apathetic, is not pessimistic, is not cynical, but is one that is brought to our God. So, I mean, what is going on in this little story that Jesus tells us today? That how do we see it and what do we experience here? we see this woman bringing her very needs to court. When you hear that word court or courtroom or judge, what images come to your mind? You probably see in some ways a rather ornate building, one that is regal, one that is great, one that is there, filled with this big bench by which the very judge rules. We see those marble columns or whatever else it might be. We see all of the trappings. We think of a jury and the law, and we think of that fact, that this is the place where things should be done right. But was that their experience back then? When we hear courtroom, we think of something amazing. When they heard courtroom, more often they would think of a tent, a tent that was moved around from place to place that the judge, not the law, set the agenda, the judge and his very assistants who surrounded him, that they were the ones who allowed who would come and who would be disallowed, who would be heard. And So naturally, what often happened in this very place was not justice, not the law, but one who was not concerned about justice, but one who was concerned about honor and place and money and power. So what got you to bring your case before the very judge? A little bribe to grease the wheels. And so this woman, Jesus paints a picture that this isn't just a woman who's getting the wrong answer. This is a woman who has everything stacked against her. That at that day and age, that women had no very role within this legal setting, The fact that she must go and represent herself again and again and again means that she had not just no husband as she was now a widow, but she had no son, no father, no uncle, no cousin, no nephew, no male relative to serve as her advocate in her place. That she was poor. And so she had no means to, very, to bring that very need of that concern to that place. That not only that, but she had a judge. A judge who just simply wasn't just mean, but a judge who neither feared God. What does that mean, that he did not fear God? That this wasn't... The great Sanhedrin there in the midst of Jerusalem of Jewish lawyers and Old Testament scholars, this was not even the lesser Sanhedrin, those that the big cities could have, of 23 Jewish people who then weighed in upon concerns. Now, this is very clearly the very courts that Caesar would set up and send his very minions to simply keep things in check. So, this was a foreign, pagan judge who did not care for the law, did not care for God, did not care for anything that this woman needed or deserved. Not only that, he wasn't even ashamed in front of other people. <laughs> Of the bribes he took or the way that he manipulated, that this woman did not stand a chance. That if that was your situation, that all of the world was indeed aligned against you, how long would you stand up and keep on coming? How long would you endure in the midst of that very situation? How long before you would give up? How long would you give it until you became apathetic and cynical and pessimistic that there is no way here? Is that how we view prayer? Do we lose heart when we do not get our way? Do we grow faint and weary and tired and simply say, what's the point? Or do we begin to see of what prayer is all about? That Jesus isn't saying that this is how God's like. Just keep on annoying Him and He'll give you what you want. You just need to bug Him enough. Now, what is He reminding us of? that we have a loving Heavenly Father, one who gives good gifts, one who invites us to connect in His grace, in His mercy, in His peace, one who desires to give us His blessing and care, but He is one who has to say those hard truths of the world, that I cannot take away all of your problems at this time. There cannot be simply that fight that I must take but there are times that you, out there in this world, for your growth, for your strength, for your very place, that you must indeed endure, that you must go through. Why? Because I want the best for you. I want you to learn and grow. I want you to come to me and realize that you can't do it on your own, but you need my help. That prayer drives us. It drives us again and again into the loving arms of a God who gives us good gifts. That we do not lose heart. We do not grow faint and tired. That we come to Him who refreshes and renews. That as Isaiah says, that He is the one who lifts us up on wings of Eagles. That may we come to him who refreshes our soul. But that's not the only image that we get of one who is invited to trust that there is a God who hears and a God who answers and a God who does. But there is also that image that is given there in James chapter 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the Christ until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. How many out there could use a little more patience in life? Is there anyone out there? How many of you want that right now? Yeah, yeah, sign me up. I want patience, and I want it right now. Sounds about like us, doesn't it? Now, what is it that James begins to remind us of? That God invites us to that prayer, that connection, that we might hear and see that God is the one who is working, that He is answering, that does the farmer go out and plant one day and expect the crops the next? Now if I was a farmer, I think that I do. <laughs> See, when I moved here from Nebraska, I had seen enough people with gardens and farms and hobby farms and all kinds of different things. I thought, how hard can it be that I had my first garden when I moved here to Indiana, that we had this nice little part right on our back porch, this little, I don't know, it's maybe 10 by 4. It's not very big. I thought, hey, that's manageable for me and we tended it, and we cared for it, and we weeded it, and we did all of the things that were there, but it did not matter. It did not matter what time we scheduled our vacation, whether it was in late June or early July or late July or or August, is that certainly enough, what happened every time was when did our crop come in when we were gone. (laughs) I grew impatient. I grew upset, and so I paved over paradise and I put up a grilling spot. But you want to know what hasn't changed? There's still plenty of times that the meat that comes off that grill is still just a little bit more burned than it should be. Why? Because I want it now. I cook it too hot, I cook it too fast, I want this done. Is that how we approach prayer? As if God's got this timeline of He's just waiting, of oh, how quickly can I respond? Then what does James invite us to? Be patient. Be patient and know that God is the one who is answering. He is the one who is working just as the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. That he relies upon rains that he does not control. That God is the one who gives us that same invitation to trust that he will give us what we need in the time that we need it. We do not need to grow frustrated or angry or upset, but we need to be driven more and more into His promises that He is the one who answers us how He desires. I mean, just look at Elijah today. Elijah, in our Old Testament reading, here's a guy who should know something about the power of prayer. He's already prayed prayed, and God has answered that He has not given rain to Israel in three years. And then on Mount Carmel with that very showdown, God not only brings fire down upon that sacrifice, but indeed God brings down the very flood rains that now come pouring forth. And yet, when everyone doesn't all of a sudden turn and become like Elijah, when suddenly Ahab and Jezebel just weren't all of a sudden, <gasps> we're believers, what does Elijah get? Frustrated and angry and upset, and he storms off to the desert. And God shows not only the earthquake and the fire and the wind, but what does it say? That God was not in them. That God came in that still and small voice that Elijah, with all of his worry, all of his fear, all of his frustration and anger that he simply could not hear, because he thought he knew. Had God worked in fire and earthquake and wind before, certainly. Just read the other pages of the Old Testament. But God answers of what we need, not of how we desire. Prayer is not a tip, a trick, a technique, a tool for us to use to get our will done. Prayer. Prayer is an invitation. It is that means by which God brings us nearer to His very trust, nearer to that faith as we come to rely upon Him and bring our needs and our concerns and that fact that though the answer may not be what we want, or though the answer may be something so imperceptible that we may not even see that it is happening or when it will take place, that He is at work. What does He invite you to? To trust in this loving relationship with Him. See, I know that there are many that love that very passage of Paul that speaks of that love chapter that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not rude, it's self-seeking. If you haven't heard it before, you probably haven't been to a wedding. Is that how well does that passage describe our love? Is your love always patient, always kind, never self-seeking? Is your love never one that's easily angered and keeps no records of wrongs. How about your prayer life? Is your prayer life patient and not envious of what others give or what others get, or indeed is not self-seeking, not easily angered, And what is it that we hear, not only here in Paul's so-called love chapter, but what is it that we hear in that very words on prayer? That our prayer does not match what prayer is. Our love does not match what God's gift is for us. That where do we see the very truth of these things? That we see it in Him in Him who came so that we might have a relationship with the Father, that He who came to bridge that gap and bring us, He who did not bring us a tip or a tool or a technique, but brought His very self, brought a relationship and a connection, not based upon our work, but based upon His grace. Why? Because Jesus is patient and kind. He does not envy, He does not boast, He is not proud or rude or self-seeking, that He is not easily angered and He keeps no records of wrongs. That Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus Christ never fails that though you may not see the answer that you desire, know that His love for you, His plan for you, His gifts for you never fail. That may you not grow weary or faint-hearted, may you not grow frustrated or cynical, but may our prayers be persistent and patient as we turn to Him who gives us that peace of God that surpasses all understanding that guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.